0: Reef Therapy by Reef Builders is brought to you by ICP Analysis. What's in your water? How you doing, Mark? Good, man. How are you doing? I'm
1: doing all right, man. I just got back from uh, Florida for Reef Palooza, And, man, it was just really interesting to get back in the saddle and just, you know, see everyone and see all the corals again.
0: Just getting myself a little more centered. Yeah, um... Was that the first real big reef show uh, post COVID crazy? What's
1: well? What's funny is I guess my last big show was Reefstock, the one that we organize, um, and that happened the weekend before all the lockdown restrictions uh, started happening. Oh, wow! And there's been you know a f- probably a smattering of like smaller show that were very socially distanced and all masks on. I just thought it was so interesting that you know the CDC guidelines got. Uh, rolled back for vaccinated people the day before Palooza, or yeah. two days before Reefpalooza and uh, you know it was going to be really socially distanced and they were going to limit the number of people which they still did but um, then they made the, the mask wearing optional so just thought it was really interesting that you know, the last big show was Reefstock and then the first new show was Reefpalooza and Usually, I love Reef Palooza the most because it's a show I don't have to organize. <laughs> yeah, you can just go in and enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, and that's usually you know preceded just by a month or two by Reefstock, but this time it's been like 15 months, so it was it was very different, man. It was uh it was different and. Um, you know, a few new products. I think the companies have been changing their strategy on uh, how they release new products. You know, a lot of companies have used to and Reefstock and Macna and Interdude to launch major projects to get, you know, to get a lot of buzz. And um, so at this time, there's, you know, there's some things I hadn't seen before or maybe just hadn't noticed. And um, I picked up the new HANA Nitrate Checker. I love how it's like high range, but it's not like extra high range. It's just not the sub ppm version that they released um i guess sometime last year and then uh, a new waterproof um i guess two decimal place ph pen also from hannah and i'm looking forward to using that um but it was really yeah it was was really fun you said you were thinking about driving down but you didn't say anything
0: yeah um you know being in atlanta it's it's a drivable distance and i was Half tempted to go, but um had a lot of work and family stuff going on and it just would have been too much effort to try to squeeze it in, so I was like, yeah. But yeah, it was tempting. It was really tempting given its location was drivable, you know.
1: Well, next time you're thinking about it, let me know and I'll fly to Atlanta and then we'll drive together and that should make the commute a little easier.
0: Yeah, be a little road trip, it'd be fun. One um, thing
1: that definitely struck me about Reef Palooza And I guess I'd kind of knew this instinctively, but now I know it discreetly. there's a lot of companies, uh, lifestyle companies, who who count on income from the reef aquarium shows uh, more than just a supplement to their day-to-day business, you know, their retail sales. And I know some of these companies, um, that's pretty much all that they do.
0: That's interesting. So their online presence or their retail presence is is he- you're basically saying is heavily supplemented by showing up to all these different shows so heavily. thereby this whole covid thing must have done a number on them not yeah. having that ability i guess
1: yeah and you you really see that in the corals that are offered i just want to let all viewers know that there are a lot of corals that are very affordable almost free, like there's lots of corals out there that are locally super abundant, um, certain monoporas, orange Cap, purple digi, uh, milca stylo, um, some fast growing acros that are practically free, you know, some stores don't even bother to like take them in as trade-in anymore, right? Because they're so common. And everybody's always focused on the hype corals, right? And they didn't, yeah. and because we're only um, excited about, you know, eight hundred dollar torches and four hundred dollar little chunks of you know orange and green monties um or you know real showy lps people think that the hobby is really expensive but that's just what gets the most attention Mm
0: -hmm. yeah I, i had the same thought this weekend um you know for one you go to a lot of these coral vendor websites and you get like the sticker shock and uh even on Live Aquaria, um, when you start looking at like their their um, LPS section, right? And you sort by price, it's like $100 and up and you're like, man. But then you go into their aquaculture section and sort that by price, you know, low to high. And you're like, okay, you know, <clears throat> instinctually I wanna start thinking that things are getting crazy. But, I mean, and I'm just using them as a vendor uh, example because I think everybody's familiar with them. But then you start to see like, okay, there's stuff out there. I mean, if I was getting into it, there's plenty of cool, interesting I would
1: say, you know, um, really experienced reefers like you and I, we know who to call. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But there's certain corals that like, if you took the time to frag them and put them on a plug you wouldn't expect to you know to get more than five or ten bucks at a store or at a trade show and you know like the the tech reviewers do not spend all their time talking about budget pcs You know, super entry level stuff or, you know, car reviewers don't talk about, you know, $5,000, you know, everyday cars uh, by Tata Motors or something like that. And, And there's, I really want people to know that, yes, there are a lot of very expensive corals, but the very, you know, hype corals from 10 years ago are like practically free practically free if you look at your local facebook group or forums or whatever like you'll find people who are just like trying to get this stuff away like you <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> throw it or away they a, dump
0: it in their backyard yeah
1: throwing away like a big old colony of uh, fox flame acrobora. It's just like eh, it's not even worth my time to chop it up and try to parse it out although that's that's more of a valuable one but it just takes some work to get that into other people's hands and i i really feel like that's where the community comes in for getting the non-hype corals
0: yeah and sort of like what you you to you hit a, hit a, hit a nail on the head of like <clears throat> the stuff that people were really excited about maybe five years ago maybe you got to go back 10 years ago more that's the stuff that is affordable now because everybody's moved on to the new shiny thing but mm-hmm. people were excited about those corals for a reason right they were colorful they were um you know, interesting or exciting. There's something cool about them. So they got their notoriety for a reason. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's um, it's what you choose to focus your attention on, right? Like you can get mad about stuff that's out there and frustrated. And I certainly outrage, have. Outrage, Yeah, I, I do, right? I, the Instagram stuff drives me a little crazy. But then I remember, like, I have a choice in how I choose to react to that stuff and what I choose to look at. And, yeah. I mean, yeah, I
1: mean I mean what coral vendor is gonna really take the time to offer five dollar frags of anthelia right right um, I mean everybody always wants Xenia at some point in their aquarium career but um, unless it's colorful like how much is a frag plug right there's certain kinds of frag plugs and discs I mean you might be talking about 10 up to 50 cents per piece plus the labor plus the bag plus the rubber band it's it's like not even worth Um, these retailers time to deal in these super cheap corals and You know, so I want people to know that like when I do my coverage of these reef shows man. I'm I'm just as guilty I'm not sitting there taking videos of of just normal zoanthids and just normal sticks and first of all uh, Acropora frags are just really hard to capture on camera without you know a really dedicated macro uh, photograph. macro lens for to photograph and so that's one of those reasons like it's way easier to whip out my phone and have you know a little yellow lens on there to um do a little video of like a 12 inch donut coral and for those of you that don't know what donut coral because i feel like some of our colloquialisms are getting lost that's an ecantophilia you know a meat coral (laughs) it's it's second nature for me i'm like yeah man i will i will film like 30 500 dollar uh, acanthophilia is because there's, they're there and they're beautiful and they're super photogenic. Um, but there's also a lot of vendors. One company that always has uh, great deals is uh, Hobie Sound Frags. I don't really know them that well but I did feature them in I think in one of my videos. Um, and you're seeing that more but it doesn't make the headlines. But there's plenty of vendors now who who will have like a $20 section, a $30 section or um, I think I saw one that was like 7 frags for $100. like. There's a lot of good stuff. And you know, one thing about um, the Sunset Monopora and the Rainbow Monopora and the uh, Superman is they're gorgeous and, and it's it takes a little bit of effort to get them super blossoming. And I would have to confess that I I've grown all those corals a lot, but I've rarely had them like really, really shining the way some Euphilias do way more easily.
0: Yeah, I think I mean there's definitely some vendors that I've bookmarked that I mean they sell some of the expensive stuff but I feel like they're also somewhat reasonable in bringing in some interesting stuff at reasonable prices right Mm -hmm. Um, I I like Austin Aqua Farms a lot you know they bring in some cool Aussie LPS corals and those are never really cheap but I feel like the way that they price them is fair Mm -hmm. Um, you know I've had good experiences with a lot of different vendors and um, I also think that you know it's if you take the time to grow the coral, right, that's the other thing. It's like if you get into collectoritis mode, it's not good for your bank account. Um, it's but not good for your reef tank. It's not, you know, and I, I see, I not, not to jump into the Instagram thing, but I see these tanks where I'm like, what's going to happen when all these corals start growing, you know, because mm-hmm. there's like 150 frags in that tank. I so, saw a macro
1: tank yesterday that was just like, They've been going for like a year or two but someone's like always in there always messing with it always kind of rearranging or kind of replacing corals and so like the growth form of the acros is kind of convoluted and twisted and you can just kind of tell that things haven't been able to settle down not to mention there's like three or four juvenile uh, large angelfish species that are uh, having quite a buffet of those SPS
0: pollas <laughs> hey good for them
1: <laughs> um, but yeah I just want I really want to hammer it home like you know, uh, uh, a Sunset Monte, a Rainbow Monopora in perfect condition that you could probably find for like $10 down to free is going to shine just as hard as, as a, um, like a Slow Burn or a Jaeger Knot or a Kung Pao Monopora, you know? And the same Acro Tank that I saw yesterday um, had a whole lineup of all those Hype you know orange to green monopores, but they were all like two to three inches across none of them had really like developed full features yet like they looked beautiful they had awesome color good texture but there was like 15 of them and honestly from just like two feet away they don't really look any different you know same thing with the holy grail the holy grail torches um first of all like that name i don't even know if it means anything anymore because there's so many permutations i've seen just in the last five days i'm like uh which one's the holiest grail (laughs) because i'm not really sure but you know the real upside the real upside to some of these corals being uh, mega valuable here's a perfect example bro um i've (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to figure out where to start. So there was a, an original um, uh, UFO micromusa had really small polyps, and it was only red and yellow, but really small lights almost half uh, the diameter of a typical small Micromousa. And um, So that's the real UFO micromusa. I just want to throw that out there But there's a new UFO micromusa that's kind of I would call it maybe like a rainbow UFO and has a little bit more of a black ring You may have seen it. It's got a little orange. It's got a little green. It's got a little gray um, It's really beautiful. Uh, the first piece I saw was in Indonesia So it actually kind of makes me laugh when people say oh, I, I introduced it as a hobby or I had it first I'm like well, I, I saw it in the islands." So I don't know who you got it from <laughs> But you didn't introduce it but over the last two Or three years that has made it south uh, stateside, probably in Europe too. And uh, you know, the first few pieces were like, hmm, man, I'm, I'm guessing like at least 150 to 200 dollars per polyp. Which, when well, you're talking about a micromousa, like I, I, I can understand pricing blastomousas and lords per polyp because you know they're big, they're nice, you know, one inch across, uh, you know, and fully inflated. Uh, micromousa. Maybe shouldn't be charging per polyp. But like two to three years ago, it was like $150, $300 for a two polyp frag, right? And at the show, man, everybody had it. And they didn't have one or two, they had like five or six or 12 or 15. And they ranged in price from like $50 to $75. And I was thinking about getting one. Um, and I picked out a nice single polyp uh, frag homeboy wants to charge me for every single little baby polyp because the coral's encrusting down i'm like are you serious dude <laughs> you, you want to count seven polyps but only one of them is like a quarter inch in diameter um but the price is coming down and i literally just looked at him i'm like you know what i'll wait a year i'll wait a year and i'll buy a bigger piece for a lot less i don't know this fall or this time next year you know so you don't always have to jump on the hype stuff man let somebody else grow it out <laughs> and don't don't break your bank but that is one of the interesting upsides like you and i have been through these cycles mm. of, of, <clears throat> of 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 disbelief when the watermelon 89 chalice sold for four hundred dollars from the first Frag of set monte sold for four hundred dollars when the my miami chalice sold for fifteen hundred dollars And you know what, I don't know, five, six years later, I picked up a three inch colony of my Miami for like 200 bucks. So that is one of the real silver linings of these corals that you can propagate. So we're not talking scolies and donuts is that it really incentivizes the coral farmers to put them into intensive culture. And next thing you you know, a few years down the road, it's everywhere. Sure, it might not be exciting, but it's still the same coral, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. But then the new person comes along and is focused on the next chalice that everybody's excited about. But, you know, if you took the hype away from it and you just laid these corals out in front of somebody that's getting into the hobby, I think that would they're, 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 they wouldn't lean towards the, the hottest new thing, probably. They'd be like, hey, you know, I, I like that really pink one. Or, you know, like they may gravitate mm-hmm. toward different ones. So, you know, I think it's I think it's important to always have a conversation with yourself when you buy anything, even outside of the hobby, like why do I want this thing, right? Like what is it that's, that's driving me to buy it? Excellent
1: point. What is my uh motivation yeah. for this?
0: It helps, but you know.
1: I'm really lucky right now because everybody's got blued out tanks. And you know what kind of corals don't look look don't look good under blue light? Blue corals. Blue corals. Blue lavender, uh, non-fluorescent pink corals, you know, like birds nests and, and stylophora. They look, they look just black <laughs> under blue light. And so, you know, the good old classic uh, purple Tonga bullseye. I've got a nice colony that I've had struggled with a lot of shrooms, but that one has done super well in pretty bright light. Um, I found a colony that just had a, this just sharp green edge around the purple rim. And I asked the guy, he had like six or seven of them. He wanted $30 a polyp, dude. And I'm like, what, what? Why, is any, why do you still have these? He had sold one the entire show. At the end of Sunday, I bought two of them. They were at 30. He gave them to me for 20 bucks <laughs> each. And I'm like, man. So it's, it's really fortunate that I have daylight spectrum on my aquariums. And I can really enjoy and appreciate blue, purple, and pink corals.
0: That's, it's funny. You were talking about having trouble with mushrooms in one of our last episode. I, ha- I struggle with rhodactus and Ricordia. I don't know why, I, you know, I'll grow mushrooms all day long, um, but, um, for some reason and I've tried cause I love them, you know, um, I love like the Superman Rhodactis, right? Like that's a cool, mm-hmm. pretty coral, not too expensive, but I mean, I'd be, I'd be more than happy if that thing became a problem and just started overtaking my tank. <laughs> right.
1: I but, think over the years, man, our tanks are too clean, too heavily filtered, too bright and too much flow, like I am struggling. I have to put chalices like almost vertically at the edges of most of my tanks, or almost under a ledge. And same thing with the shrooms. I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of giving up on trying to have them in those normal systems. And I'm going to create some zones that are specifically lower flow and um, lower light where they can, they can really blossom, um, and and really been uh coming back with you know dosing some generous trace elements and i see a big improvement across the board
0: so i've been um so, so the gyres i had on my previous tank i think the urchin did a number on the power cords mm. um, <laughs> so when i cleaned them all up and i was inspecting them i was like ooh i don't i probably shouldn't reuse these um so i had a tunsey still you know just a tunsey stream pump laying around and i was like oh, i'll just throw that into my new tank and uh and then you know i'll start figuring out what i'm going to do for flow and over the last week you know that's one stream pump on a 6 foot tank that's it right plus my return pump um but you know i do predominantly is this the new
1: stream 3 that's kind of elongated
0: no no we're talking no about you the, still have
1: like the the chunk
0: <laughs> not the rect not the block but the one that is just circular the big ball.
1: yeah the ball so second generation yeah
0: yeah, and it's a DC one, right? Um, and you can adjust the s- speed on it and all that. But uh, so I'm just running that as a interim, you know, until I figure out what to do. And um, but it, it got me thinking about our mushroom conversation and everything else of like, okay, so right now I'm running a low, pretty low flow tank, and yeah, most, I mean, the the predominant coral is softies in my tank. I do have some SBS and stuff, but everything, everybody looks happy. And I'm kind of like. maybe I just leave it like this for a while. I don't know, you know. I mean, I I wouldn't mind having some additional flow that I can, you know, dive into every once in a while, even if it's just to create some occasional turbulence. But um, it's just interesting. Like, everybody seems pretty happy, you know, and it's... um, I think most people will look at my current flow situation and think, what the hell are you doing, (laughs) you know?
1: So one thing that I've started doing is, um, you know, I'm the flow master. Flow is more important than light, and I was just always hyper-focused on how to get the most flow possible. Not just for the benefit of the corals, but also um, for the ecology, you know, to just keep everything washed, you know, keep all the detritus and suspension so it can go into the filter. And so one thing I've really been uh, working on lately is um, reducing my flow during the day. Mm -hmm. Um, when the polyps are out especially in the euphelia tanks and then at night kind of have like a a wash cycle where the pumps just come on for a hundred percent for 10 minutes or something and just like really flush everything out um, especially when the soft corals are closed up when the euphelia's tentacles are mostly retracted and um, yeah I think it makes a big difference Um, you know (laughs) I usually try to treat my corals like man take it or leave it you better learn to live in this high flow or not but man if you just just backing off the flow during the middle of the day and have that in a wash cycle at night is really give me the best of both worlds and that's something you can't do without controllable programmable pumps
0: yeah it's a good way to do it um and that that, i think that's the route i'm gonna go is not necessarily permanently stick with my current situation but um get more flow in there but you know maybe maybe have some 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 quiet time in the day cycle so is
1: your your stream two you can plug it into your generic aquarium controller and program it to blast at night right just to flush things out yeah yeah i would really advise folks to to try that out except for you know, if you have a acro balls of the wall tank like just go ahead and you know flush that all the time yeah um but anything that has polyps that you know extend to you know, say gonies shrooms euphyllias soft corals and some of your acanthos and your fleshier lps that would be a um that might be a really good approach that is uh, starting to work for me
0: i'll tell you one other weird thing that um i have no idea what's going on but um, for the longest time, you know, there's been a lot of hesitancy about substrates cause eventually they just get dirty looking or you get cyano or something and my substrate, which is a lot chunkier than most people, it stayed really clean on my old tank and I moved it over to the new tank and it stays like eerily spotless and I can't figure out why and part of me when I started going with elevated temperatures well elevated compared to today's standards, right? I'm running at like 81, um, that I noticed suddenly like the, the, the substrate stayed cleaner longer. But then the other thing I noticed, uh, now that my tank is in a more observable zone of my house is, uh, my coal Tang, my convict Tang and my flame angel, I think they think they're sand-sifting gobies. (laughs) (laughs) So I think larger, like, crushed coral chunks of substrate is sort of like rock for them to graze on. Mm -hmm. So they're just cruising my substrate and just picking up chunks of uh, seashell and broken crushed coral and just kind of, like, you know, rummaging it in their mouth and spitting it back out. And they're just grazing the sandbed for little turfs of algae. So they're like my... They're like my sand cleaners. I, I don't know. It's just the weirdest thing. That's got like,
1: to be really good for them, too.
0: Yeah. But, you know, everybody will always goes sugar-sized, and you don't want to go too chunky because the sand detritophores will not do well. They need sugar-sized sand, and, you know, you're going to get all these little micro— It's like, maybe the, uh, maybe the answer is go with, like, a larger grain size that's more like a rock for a fish to graze on mm-hmm. I like crushed coral, right? And then just get some bristle mouth, you know, type tangs just to go to town on it all day long.
1: The last time that I had a, a, a substrate that I really enjoyed was two little fishies reborn yeah. in an Acropora tank with a ton That's of exciting. water flow. It never, it didn't really ever move. And that had some interesting benefits because it allowed the coralline to grow on it. And it was gorgeous and in a typical sand bed like all those you have no idea how many tips you break off until they start staying alive right I'm so you, when you yeah when you have that chunky substrate i think you might have seen it at aquamart here locally uh once maybe twice and because it you know it's it can take a ton of flow and it doesn't really move you can't sift it you can't put sand sifting starfish in it and it's just like barely a a quarter inch layer just enough to not see the glass man there's like those those little tips of of you know let's say bonsai acro and cap and digitata and other unnamed uh, Acroporus. They would just you know break off but then they would fall into that and then they would encrust and they would just start growing right there on the bottom. It was so freaking cool. It looked a, a little bit hyper natural. Yeah. Very cool. But I definitely you know, one of the other things that's really uh, stuck in my at the front of my Um, mind my reef aquarium thoughts lately is that when you have a a, a, let's say inch and a half two inch sand bed even you know fine grain or medium grain that is kind of like the equivalent of having a 30 pound fish breathing in your aquarium all the time right like if yeah if you're if you're counting on the myofauna and the bristle worms to process your waste and the bacteria to denitrify or whatever all of that takes oxygen and creates CO2, which is probably causing you like 0.2 uh, in pH, you know, 0.2 pH points. Um, so that's just one of the reasons like, um, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm okay without sand. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I feel like that's a, that's a huge trade off, especially if you have an older, you know, sand bed and you feed a lot and you know there's a lot of funk in there. If you have funk in there, man, that is dropping your pH, and that is just like a CO2 machine.
0: I know I know people with sand beds often, <clears throat> it's a carbonate sink, so it's um, you actually get away with running elevated DKH with all that detrital matter and sand, and then all of a sudden they decide, I'm going to go bare bottom, and they pull it out and then they tend to have like elk burn issues and stuff on the corals because there's not that bacteria that bacterial bed um breathing yeah in my case i i just have like the thinnest crushed coral bed and that's sort of where i've settled at for the moment you know my my direction changes you know every year i get excited about something new but i i'm i love a substrate right i love corals that live on the substrate but I ain't in the business of trying to breed a bunch of myofauna in it. I do like the myofauna, right? Uh, Hypothetically, yeah, I like them over there, <laughs> not yeah. in my tank. <laughs> no, I mean they—they add to the whole. Like for me, like my tank experience, but um, but yeah, like my stuff is small enough that these tangs and even even a pygmy angel are tumbling it, right? They're picking it oh, up and tumbling cool. it around, so I don't even get coralline algae, right? Um, and then from a detrital concern, like I'm kind of on that fence of if it ends up into like that gray matter in your substrate, for the most part, that's inert. And if it doesn't become inert, you know, I'll let my skimmer take it or a water Mm -hmm. change or whatever. So I don't really hit the panic button about detritus like a lot of people do. I don't, I mean, I actually saw some interesting uh, discussions online about people who never have gravel vac their sand bed and let all that gunk build up for years and years and years doing like ICP tests. And, I mean, their params are fantastic, right? There's nothing that's elevated or weird or... Um well, th- th-
1: that would be their chemical parameters, correct? Right? not their yeah. physical parameters. That's one of the things that I still want people who are ICP divas to understand. I'm like, uh, I don't think, first of all, none of them are really giving you salinity measurements. I, I, I might be wrong. They might have caught up on that, but they're not telling you your temperature, they're not telling you your oxygen, they're not telling you your CO2 or your pH or your ORP levels. You know, so that, sure your chemistry, your chemical parameters might be fine, but your physical parameters um that's that has nothing to do with it.
0: No, but it's um you know, it's like that—the great fear of detritus. Like, okay, what are you afraid it's going to do? Right? Elevate your phosphates or nitrates, or is it contributing to some buildup of trace element? Like, you know, it's it's fairly inert, right? I mean, at that point, I mean, I don't that's, know. I
1: think we should uh, table that one for a full-on discussion right. of substrates. But one thing I didn't tell you, bro, is when I was at Reef Palusa. I was almost, I mean, first of all, I'm very thankful to everyone that came up and said hi and said how much they enjoyed uh, reef therapy in the concert. I saw you wearing the shirt and some of the pictures. But I was borderline peeved at how many people said they love reef therapy. I'm like, hey. You know i make videos too right (laughs) do you know how much harder those are me and mark have been doing these discussions you know about reef stuff for like 20 freaking years should i just shut down the studio and we can just do audio stuff all the time (laughs) but no it was cool i I guess it just really resonated with people and they just enjoyed the focused reef conversation not everyone agrees with everything that we says but i think it's really becoming an important um aspect of just getting people's reef aquarium uh creative juices and critical thinking flowing and so that's really cool you know that's really nice but i just man if if i if i knew like because we did this for us right this is our reef therapy and if i had known like how much it would resonate with the reef aquarium hobby at large um yeah i think i might have pulled the trigger on this a little bit sooner (laughs) You well, would have loved it, man. You would have loved it. You show up to you go to your next reef show, wear a reef therapy shirt, and you're like, people are gonna want to take pictures with you too.
0: Oh man, that'll be weird. <laughs> um, uh, you
1: get you get used to it.
0: No, and I, I like what you said too there, because um I don't think we're trying to say like what we say is fact or gospel. It's like we're we're very opinionated people and and we, we are expressing our opinions. So if you disagree with something I said I would love to have a beer and have that discussion with that person or coffee or whatever, you know Like I I love that debate or that back-and-forth.
1: There was the one thing that was really cool with some follow-up questions Where people didn't understand how I could set up a reef tank in one day and I would just I was really I've always been inspired by Albert Einstein's thought experiments, right? The way he tried to explain general general relativity like if you're on a train and you shine a light does that light you know, shining from it. Does it go to the speed of light plus the train? It doesn't and he explains why. And so this is, you know, I pulled up a few thought experiments about water flow and setting up a tank in one day and acclimating your corals. I'm like, do you think corals are acclimated to being out of the water for two hours when they're harvested? Do you think they're acclimated when you know, they get back to the facility? This is not Australia. Australia, they, they you know, keep their corals in the water, but still it's, it's pretty rough. There's no acclimation all along the way. You can't acclimate a coral to get you know, harvested from the reef or even a coral farm. It just gets pulled out and then it gets put into a new tank and it's just kind of funny how much more um, delicate, delicate uh, handling these corals receive the closer and closer they get to the consumer.
0: I think there's still a lot of mystery deaths that occur sometimes. Um for your average hobbyist, right? Maybe somebody more experienced or had access to a microscope can get a more definitive answer about something that happened, but you still have some mysteries around RTN or STN or mm-hmm. and <clears throat> so I think that kind of mystery and that it why did you know why did that coral suddenly just up and die on me? Um that that sort of perpetuates that whole kind of, you know, handling them with uh, kid gloves, you know, or what's a good analogy, like being so delicate with them? One thing
1: I would say... Is that when I'm experienced so I have probably about a thousand corals. And I, can, you know, I came back from the um from Reef Blueso, I've been gone for five days, and one of my Indo Lords that I've had for I don't know, eight or nine months, he's got two polyps missing and the other polyps are pissed off. He's been in the same spot for like six, seven months. I haven't done anything in that tank. All the corals are juicy. I when I have something like that, I don't think of the system. My first thought is not the system; it's that coral. Mm-hmm. There's something with that coral that's wrong. Maybe something's boring into it. Maybe something stung it. Maybe something bit it, or is grazing on it. Um, I don't freak out, man. I really <laughs> now. I'm just like, if you have a you know, if you're in a, a more typical reefer, and you have you know, say 100 or 200 corals, you should expect three to five of them not to be on the same you know thriving page and program as everything else. Right, it's just a numbers game, and I, you know, the first couple years of doing the studio, man, I would, I'd be up at night thinking about that coral or that mm-hmm. clam or that anemone that got away. I'm like, what's going on? And now I'm just like, okay, it's a thousand corals, 990 of them are just balls to the wall just doing super duper awesome and um just need to like tone it down a little bit and just relax you know and just don't freak out about little algae don't freak out about little aptasia just have a plan and usually you have plenty of time to make a plan but definitely um one whole episode i'd like for us to do is um all the ways that reefers overdo it because I feel like there was way more harm being done by people reacting to what's happening in their reef tanks. I love how this entire conversation has completely deviated from the two from topics we that we're to talk, talk about. about. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. Well, I think it's like we have a topic, but then, you know, we haven't talked to each other in a week and.
1: Two crap, weeks. Two, two weeks. Took a week off yeah. Last week. yeah.
0: And crap just happens where I'm like, oh man, I want to bring that up with Jake, you know? <laughs> like, yes. Like and watching my tangs, you know, act like they're sandbed cleaners. Like, what in the heck? And I'm like, you I'm know what? Teletic- that's
1: an, a, a perfect time to tell you a very fun anecdote that was just recounted to me yesterday. Um, his name is Gene. He's a store owner in Florida. He's working on some very exciting stuff. And we're going to be talking about that in the future. Um, but he, he noticed that um, uh, tang poops tank fecal matter to fecal pellets were all building up in one place in this tank and i was like oh yeah that's no big deal and you know my, it happens in my tank it's just the way the flow goes and it just kind of builds everything up in that spot and he said no he said i have a couple of tomany tangs he called them flame fins always a funny you know see to hear the regional names of different fish he said he set up a camera on several different tanks and in two of those tanks he had the tomany tangs and he noticed that his tomany tang. Pooped the exact same place every time. Two different Tommy tanks, he's got two different a litter
0: boxes.
1: <laughs> what awesome. is that about? How does that translate? And he's a he's a theoretical physicist, right? And it's really. Refreshing to talking to someone like that because you know, they already have a critical scientific, you know um, um, Inquiry process in their mind, so I don't have to ask them, you know A series of questions to determine whether or not they were accurate in their observations Um, But yeah, I was just like how does that translate to the wild? Like why? Why would a tomany tang in the wild kind of poop in the same place? Yeah, I don't know how much of a turf that they have in the wild but I just thought it was really interesting that in two tangs two tanks they were both pooping in the same spot
0: <laughs> so maybe they just realize like we're stuck in this box so why don't we just make that the poop corner and then this will be the the where we chill you know
1: <laughs> i would love to learn if this is a thing across tanks i have Tommy tanks everywhere but i had a ton of flow so i don't i don't know how much that would that would help here but um all right back to reefalooza yeah let's do it that's gonna, that's gonna segue us into kind of a larger broader topic man and I was just whew, back to the vendors really using uh, the conferences as a, as a marketplace you know you can tell that they're bringing out some, some fire fire not actual fire corals but hype corals uh, for the show because man there was like I don't even know how many cantos there were and they were all like none of them were solid red with a green mouse. None of them were just like a classic normal acanthophilia that, used to, that I used to retail for $79 back in 1997 at the fish store that may or may not have sold. I mean, so many of these vendors, they would have 5, 6, 10, 12, 15 acanthophilas. And I, I don't even know how many 12-inch open polyps of acanthophilias there were. <laughs> i'm like i love those corals but i can't spend like almost an entire reef tank on one coral you know one nanoreef reef is probably about a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars but um but the prices they, they they were coming down a little bit relatively right so you could f- see some smaller ones for like four or five hundred dollars that's still that's still not my kind of coral to spend money on like i love that coral but i just have to wait for Papua new Guinea to reopen and i'm just gonna go collect my own <laughs> hopefully they have some nice ones in the png but yeah, that was really cool. Like, tons of Cinarinas, tons of Acanthophilias, crazy trackies. Um, I picked up a red, red Cycloceros for, uh, I think, $150 or $200 from oh, Jono's Reefs. And I was like, God, I know some places that, you know, they'd have a four-figure price tag on that thing. And it was, I, you know, that was on Sunday. I, I get some of the craziest corals that I get. Well, I'll get on Sunday after it has been sold on Saturday. So I can, you know, do a little hustling, a little uh, negotiating. And uh, yeah, I gotta, those corals are going to be shipped to me tomorrow. Oh my God, I got a pile of corals. I, was gonna I actually ask went about through that. all my receipts on my phone. And it wasn't
0: as bad as I thought. <laughs> so, so a lot of these vendors will just ship them out to you. You don't have to no, take no, them on no, the no. plane or?
1: <clears throat> I, I could take them on the plane, but that's a hassle. And I have done that in the past if I know I'm going straight home. Um, no, I went to visit, spend some time with uh, Chris Meckley over at ACI, got some corals from him. So I brought the corals to him and we just let them all out. And uh, so he's you know, bringing, shipping all oh, that stuff cool. into a big bundle uh, later on. So yeah, definitely some good time with uh, Chris Meckley. He's doing some good stuff over there. He's, you know really focused on aquaculture and he's got a very large, what is it like, is it, is it like a six foot or eight foot by 12 foot? times three or four huge huge tanks and um he's been using the, the coral care leds and um i think that's you know a perfect setup for the next thing i'd like to talk about and that is um just kind of like light field light distribution and the uniformity of uh, aquarium lights um because the uh the net the the worst kept secret in the industry was the neptune system sky led i know it's been in development for a long time but uh finally got a good look at it this weekend when it launched
0: yeah i <clears throat> i didn't get to see it in person i just saw everything online and watched all the videos and um <clears throat> i don't really have a bad thing to say about it i i think The things that I would have been concerned about, like the interoperability without an Apex, they address that, right? They've got the Bluetooth LE control, Mm -hmm. which I think Mm -hmm. is cool. Um, And I think it's also just speaks to a general direction that we're seeing with lighting, whether you're talking about the Radeon G5, obviously the coral care seems to be kind of the instigator of it all. And then you've got this light, the, um, the ATI is another one. Um, but they're going for that diffuse panel light where You know you you may not have as much heavy par coming out of it But the par it does deliver is consistent and distributed um, Very very much in my opinion. I'm not a light expert like you are, but it seems like they're chasing kind of that T5 vibe. There's a certain fetishization of the
1: uniform light field and I ran one of my tanks over here with Radeon Gen four pros with diffusers and it was it was not my favorite tank and I swear it was like right before I left for a trip, I just pulled them on off, just like totally just spurt of the moment. I'm like, Oh my god. I like that brightness. I really, really like that brightness and the contrast that comes from hard shadow. I and think, um
0: I think you and I are and a lot of people out there are metal halide fanboys, and, and you know, stay with me on this, um, because I wrote a, a thing I think on Reef Builders many, many years ago when I first tried LEDs, and I struggled with some harsh shadowing for very overgrown corals that I had um, and so then I added a build my LED light bar right mm-hmm. um, that was a cool that by I the remember way that, yeah. but the idea being like I'm going to backfill some of those harsh shadows and so interestingly enough the next tank I set up was at 225 and I went with an ATI sun power with that kind of ideology in mind um, you know diffuse flat light everywhere and that was my least favorite tank <laughs> <laughs> So, so here, you know I'm, well, I was just gonna say, I think the research is in in having like, hey, like let, let's not create too many shadows. like let's make sure that a coral can grow in every corner of your tank. I, I, I agree that makes logical sense. And on paper, like if you're like, I'm gonna design the best tank to grow the best corals, that might be one of those boxes that you check. But it's one of those where at the end result, I'm not so sure I would like that appearance. I know Neptune does some of those little glimmer shims things to add glimmer lines, which I think is a neat addition. But yeah, I mean, I I, I agree with you. I think the contrast and the shadows, that they add dimension to a glass box full of corals that yeah, I would, yeah. I miss, you know?
1: I would, so I would like to take a moment to just to describe the Neptune System Sky LED. It is essentially a concentrated coral care, right? So it has a smaller footprint. It has a little bit more power. It has fans, so it loses some of that hyper durability. But it also sheds like 12 pounds <laughs> off the 40-pound model. Yeah. Um, um, one curious element about the uh, the Sky is it doesn't use red or green LEDs. Use really amber and cyan leds right so that uh so instead of having a you know solid red or solid green basically it's a you know phosphor doped led to just push the white into that orange spectrum or push the blue into that greener spectrum and i, I never questioned that neptune would release uh, a light that would look pretty freaking good over an aquarium and i have zero at ha- reservations that it will grow coral. It'll grow the hell out of coral. Um, the I'm not sure how, if I, how much I should quote Terence because I was asking him if they didn't really mention this very much in the their press release but there's one photograph where you have like the exploded view and you can see that there's like a, an acrylic panel in between the LED panel and between the diffuser panel um, that is uh, the secret sauce of the coral care, and in the marketing material of the Sky LED, it says patented light engine or something. I can't remember exactly the, the actual verbs, which it kind of matters when you're talking about specifics. Because I'll get I'll get grilled if I get one little detail wrong. But it's almost like um, a kind of fiber optic effect. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they want to say fiber optics because it sounds cool, but it's a, it's more of you know light pipe effect that helps to Really spread the light out before it hits a diffuser um, and uh, what else oh you mentioned the shims stuff, and so I guess you know the only thing about the coral care that I'm surprised in re- in relation to the cost is like the mitris LED has been around for eight years nine years and it had you know nine ten color channels I don't even know how many channels were up to in the Radeon Gen 5 it was like nine or something and you can take multiple channels and group them together in software to make it easier for the user but when your hardware only offers four color channels that you can tweak with um, you can't I, I overheard people uh, confirm one of the th- reservations I had about the light is that you can't get that super pop, right, when you really want to push it into the deep end of the spectrum. Um, and that, But that's really personal preference, right, at full daylight. Um, I mean, the tanks looked amazing. You know and I think the amber and and cyan choice there was a photo mode in there that I'm pretty sure was inspired by <laughs> some conversations that reefers have had and uh, that really worked like even without a filter the photo mode you're able to just really take great pictures of the tanks that were using the sky LED um, but yeah I, you know I have no doubt that it's gonna grow corals um, but pricing it just a little bit more than the competition with arguably f- you know fewer control channels and less access to some of the specific wavelengths like all right here's a great example you know and we're power users and you get used to the light you have i don't like blue led so much i always turn that one down just a little bit compared to royal blue and violet and both shades of uv i like it push it a little bit more in the purple and that's how all my lights are you know granted if if i get a sky and i put over tank you know you get used to whatever light you had whatever light you have
0: yeah you do i mean i'm with you on the blue i i love the the magic sauce for me is like royal blue with warm whites right mm, um yep, that's there's something about that calm i mean throw in some cool whites and everything else but um my only critiques that are meant to be constructive and maybe it's it's like if you know what's going on in the meeting rooms maybe there'd be answers but I didn't like that you have to use an Aquabus cable to hook it up to the Apex. So one little thing
1: that I got totally wrong is, well, not totally wrong because it's brand new light, Um, it has integrated Aquabus. It's in the power plug.
0: But it wires out, right?
1: Yeah, but it's at the wire plug in the outlet, the end of the outlet. So it's not like you have a separate cable coming out. But yeah, you're right. I mean, that's a good point, like.
0: Why not? If you've got Bluetooth LE, and you've already built an app for it. Why not build another Neptune module? Right? They got all these modules that does the Bluetooth communication. So then that way, it's like, hey, if you'd rather use the Apex interface, we're going to use that same communication. And again, I'm not, I'm not good on you know the intricacies of wireless like Bluetooth technology. And there might be a reason why they couldn't do that or something. But that was just a. Um, and, and that's then maybe, a, maybe that's, that's a coming, very right? fair
1: point. It's um, a very fair point. I don't. I'm not sure. You know, we do. We do need to give them some breathing room. Yeah, absolutely. This is Gen it,
0: One, right? This is I mean,
1: Gen One. It's a software one, and I do really like that. The two most exciting lights um of 2021 are headed you know diametrically opposite directions we have the the castle a500x with its hyper spotlight that's shapeable with different reflectors um in a you know puck form factor and then you have the sky led which is a flat panel that gives you like the flattest lighting possible um one thing i do want to mention is like I, man, I, I know that it's got those little clear windows also borrowed from the Coral Care Gen 2 um, to introduce some shimmer. I asked a bunch of people looking at that tank. We didn't see it at all. That could have been a lack of water um, agitation at the surface you know, to, to introduce those shimmer lines because you're not going to get it if the water is flat. I, I should have looked at that a little bit closer, but I didn't really see that effect. And it was, if I recall correctly, it was those those uh shimmer windows they call shims um uh, was only over the whites
0: i you know that that's one of my hesitancies where like i said i don't doubt that the panel type leds are superb for growing corals but Mm -hmm. even my current ais which i love and grow corals phenomenally don't have enough shimmer for me (laughs) oh wow yeah and i've got a turbulent surface so uh, water surface and my lights which, are, 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 you, are pretty you high up are you making use
1: of that extra three inches of of clearance that you have above your water surface are you chopping it up up there making some waves you need a wave box bro <laughs> you need a wave box for that tank like yeah
0: i there's a lot i want to do but i you know just getting the tank up and running i gotta i gotta piecemeal slowly the other stuff i want to do but yeah I, I would love to try a wave box um and uh, yeah, there's, there's a few things that, I, I, that are on my agenda um, to, try to try to make use of that extra rim, right?
1: So one of the other you know, parts of the Neptune Sky is it's supposed to be part of the ecosystem, right? Well, they've been working on Apex-compatible LED lighting for like a really long time. I, I'm not aware, I don't think the Gen 5 radions work anymore, I don't Kessel know if the AI's. AI is uh, Kessel yeah. is, it's no less native to the Apex ecosystem than the Sky. <laughs> that's that's right? one
0: I would love to um, know the background on because I believe they have an acronym for it at Neptune, but they have like an API interface that I think they're trying is to it,
1: Is it the IOTA? Something like that, yeah. Internet of Things Aquariums?
0: Yeah, and I wondered how open that is in the sense of like, hey, these are the universal REST API things that we've built in that any vendor could use, or I I don't know how it works, but um, I'm kind of curious on how that plays out. And like, obviously Kessel's working with them on that and they've got some folks testing it. Um, But uh, yeah, um, I you know, again, I think a lot of people feel like Neptune's a walled-in garden, but I don't know the whole backstory on that because if they do have some type of API interface that vendors can opt in to work with and is it are they really doing a vendor lock-in right are they Man, really I think the majority in of
1: these apex ready uh, devices have been just not much more than you know zero to one to ten volt control yeah i know the new castles they have that digital control so that's very different from the previous generation of castles um but yeah you know it's 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 a bold move for neptune to price this fixture a little bit more than everything else on the market while in some ways, kind of reducing the controllability, and I just I feel like that's that's a curious choice. <laughs> it's a curious choice to have just four channel control. I get that that's easier for um, you know newer hobbyists but let's get real like you know a controller system is not for newer hobbyists right those are for the control freaks who want access to everything and um again at the end of the day i have no doubt it's going to grow great coral it's going to grow beautiful coral um and you get used to whatever light you have that's yeah. just that's one of those things every time i review like a uh, a dramatically new light or any man even if like even if i take a um, when I took the 52s, the Hydra 52s, and I replaced them with the Hydra 64s, I hated them yeah. for two weeks because <laughs> I loved the, the ones I had before for so much, for like literally two weeks. And after two weeks, I'm like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> Everything is fine. <laughs> and uh, But yeah, you, you you really get used to your corals looking a particular way under a particular light. And um, yeah, it's r- I like that... The the Neptune Sky is not that divisive as far as the fundamentally the way it works. They you know they went out on a limb to do something a little bit different. You know, there's a lot there from the coral care, <laughs> so it's not that innovative per se. But the coral care is not a light for the masses.
0: No, that's for like a coral farm or something. Yeah, I mean, it's if for you the commercial th- thing. So a, they, what is it like twenty pounds
1: or something? You know, it's. It's a beast. I mean, I think they went from eighteen to fourteen pounds, right? So it went, it got a little bit lighter. But man, that thing is that, that thing's a beast. So, but it's really gonna um, get people thinking about light fields. You know, or, you know what? Here's one, you know, one of the things that's super awesome about the the Sky LED is I always thought that their little PAR sensor that you know, plugs into the Apex was, yeah. Kind of a novelty device, right? Because you know, as soon as algae grows on it, like you know, that goes your reading. I feel like that should have a clear lens cover, so instead of cleaning it, you can literally just pull it off and put a new one. It's what what two dollars for a little molded acrylic part that right? yeah. you can take out and clean properly. But uh, here, here could this could be like the real ape ace in there up their sleeve? Is helping uh, new reefers really measure how much light is on the tank, right? Because Famously, have rail against you know points measurements of par because they don't tell you enough. They don't tell you about the spectrum. They don't tell you about the duration and the, the, the spread. But if you had uh, one or maybe even more, I don't know if they can support more than one of these, those PAR sensors with the apex unit, all of a sudden now you can actually really measure the light throughout the day. I mean, even counting glitter lines, counting your moonlight, counting the, how you change the spectrum. And I think that's that little tool all of a sudden is so much more of a value proposition for scientists. Right, who just need to the particular daylight uh, integral of the total insulation that's happening over the aquarium, or um, you know, hobbyists that don't want to get in trouble by putting up their lights too too bright because it's not just a point source; it's you know the entire day. So I think that's going to be like the secret sauce that a Neptune Sky is a device that they've had in the market for I don't know four or five years. The the um, synergy between the PAR sensor. And uh, light itself, that's going to be very, very tricky because I don't think anyone's close to offering something like that right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think of some examples where <clears throat> having it integrated with Fusion and having that coding logic, you know, where you can say, if this happens, do that kind of thing. Um, I'm, I'm not thinking of one immediately, but, you know, there's always opportunities there for people that are pretty creative with Fusion to say, hey, I mean, hell, you could even do like, hey, if something's wrong with X, just make you know, make a certain turn off all the LEDs except for this channel, right? So you come mm-hmm. home, you look at your tank, and you're like, why is it that color? Oh, something's wrong. <laughs> but yeah, you, you you can do interesting things with it. Um, <clears throat> I want to I want to give Neptune a, like a, a lot of breathing
1: room on this Gen One in hardware and software controls and um, interplay with uh, the puck. But man, the the larger conversation I think is really going to be. Uh, Uh, getting people thinking about overlapping light fields you know so i am not super convinced so all right one one knock on the sky is i don't think it's gonna be able to punch you know for the average tank that's two feet deep maybe 30 inches sure but when you start getting the th- 36 inches unless you really start stacking them it's going to be missing some of that and you, there's there's gonna be no creative mounting options that light needs yeah, to be flush with the tank and you know within three to six inches of the water surface uh, minimum
0: And I think that's true for a lot of these panel lights, right? Is that there's going to be an optimum mounting height for these. Um, And as you raise them up, I mean, granted, you know, if you're running them at 60% and they're eight inches above the water, then yeah, you could theoretically raise them, but then also raise the intensity to compensate. But I do feel like there's less flexibility with the ATI or any of these um, where, you know, you're going to find a sweet spot where you're going to have to position that. Um, And maybe that's fine if you're running a canopy or something, but you know, obviously you know my motives, right? Like I feel like, I think the coolest thing to do is get the lights as far away from the tank as possible. If you have a shallow tank. Make them
1: disappear. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They're no longer part of your visual conversation, right, when you're looking at a reef tank.
1: (laughs) we are absolutely like metal halide generation. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know we got to dabble with power compacts and we VHOs grew up with the old coral light tendons. remember the the bell oh yeah of course of course i i really like how the wider conversation this is having and one of the interesting side convos that i had while you know uh, examining the sky is a few very you know talented experienced commercial coral farmers saying how much more they prefer the gen 4 radian because those lenses have the punch right. because they don't have to have them so close to the tank and yeah okay the definitely gen 5 is more efficient and it's got more spread but hey you know what if you want your light 24 inches above your tank or 18 inches above your tank um, the gen 5 is not really a great option for that
0: yeah and it's true when you look at what most people run their LEDs at. it's never at I mean uh, okay Sanjay may be an exceptionist but Rarely. most people you're, like no, you're me, right they're not running them at a hundred percent but at the same rate you know you've got that coral farmer that is probably amping up the percentage but then raising them up so that they can actually work in their vats and do their stuff uh, the ati panels look awesome right uh, again they're not my cup of tea but every time i see them on a tank it's an 18 by 18 inch square my, so
1: my only reservation man is they've they've gone to the extreme
0: yeah they're too big
1: immediately the first Distributed lighting panel was arguably the Triton Lani led.
0: I remember those, yeah.
1: Yeah, it was a. Remi- like that's what it
0: reminded me of.
1: That was the that was you know the the granddaddy of all these things. Not to mention that other people didn't have the idea, but it used just the primary optic. It didn't need a diffuser. They were running I don't know one one point five watts, and it was I think it was like. 18 inches squared just a solid slab of aluminum it didn't need a diffuser but so it still gave you that shimmer it still gave you that punch and that that brightness bouncing off your corals bouncing off your fish and and so it's so funny to see uh you know the all these panel lights go to the far the deep end of the pool when it comes to diffused distributed lighting and um i think like everything once you hit the extreme then you dial it back a little bit
0: Yeah. It's, um, like I said, sometimes if you optimize everything for the best possible, whatever, you know, then when you piece it all together, you've got a reef tank in your living room. That's, I don't know, doesn't really aesthetically please. Right. It's like Mm -hmm. you're, you're getting into science project territory. Like that's not what I'm after. Right. I harsh shadows. Yeah. That's something you may have to contend with, but you know forget that there's a yin and a yang right the upside is there's contrast there's depth right the yes. glimmer lines like yes n- i mean some and people, there's punch
1: you yeah. know punching down into deeper tanks um you know and uh, There's there's so there's so many dimensions to this conversation, not even about color, not even about spectrum, (laughs) not even about photo period, but just light distribution. Um, And it's it's fun. It's really fun to see the LED lighting market get to a point where we're talking about all these different opposing ideas about how to do this stuff. Um, It's a really exciting time for LED lights for sure. But I think I I. That super flat look, you know, I had some T5 tanks, I grew that, but Jesus out of Acros. But I like my glitter lines and I like my hard shadows and I like my my brighter reflection off the coral from a more directed light source, personally.
0: Yeah, like I said, I had eight uh, eight eighty watt bulbs over my 225 and I will say that was probably the best Acro growing fixture I've ever owned but i would never go for that look or aesthetic ever again just because it was boring it just but had no care i'm not sure that personal opinion you, sorry i mean no you don't know no, no i'm right there
1: with you man the the, the t5 look can look really a- amazing as far as color but that's just presentation it's it's missing something to me and i might really defer it's so subjective we're really in firmly in subjective aesthetics territory but um, when it comes to the overlap and like trying to fill in the three-dimensional branches of um, complicated uh, Acroporas and Montiporas and other branching corals, I'm not sure that that super diffused look, you know, as diffused and as flat as possible is going to be better at all or significantly better than just having four smaller led spotlight that will give you that punch that will give you the glitter lines and that will give you those you know those contrasty shadows obviously that depends on the coral itself right when it's a one inch frag of course it's going to do the same same thing but as it grows you know how different is that going to be
0: yeah and there's so many other factors too you know what is your aquascape you know if you if you got a wall of rocks and it's a very vertical aquascape, and your corals are going to grow outwards over each other because it's like a staircase of corals, that's one thing, right? But if you if you let the corals be the aquascape and you go for less rock, more kind of a minimalist approach, um, shallow water tanks are real popular these days. Like that all changes the calculation of the equation, right? Like it's just a different factor that you have to consider. Um, <clears throat> and what are you replacing right like i mean yeah if you go from a t5 fixture to a very narrow beam point source light and you have like 5 year old corals they may not adjust the way you want right that's mm-hmm. that's another factor is like how are you going into it um, so but i yeah i i would rather chase a certain aesthetic i guess a certain aesthetic yeah, yeah.
1: and that's that's not even the conversation to be had with someone who's been reefing for like one to three to five years (laughs) they're still trying to just you know get their fundamentals down you know learn their um, basic arithmetic of reefing Um, and we're like beyond that like oh yeah corals are gonna grow just fine now how does the entire reef tank look and but that's now that's firmly subjective I have no doubt that people using the the GNC or the ATI Stratton or the Sky, they're going to have great success. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the corals are going to be fine. The corals are going to grow fine. And if, if you don't have a, a Gen 5 radion right next to it with, you know, nine different colors with a little bit more discrete uh, emission peaks, you're never going to, you're not, you're not going to miss it, honestly. You're not going to miss that extra few points of CRA. I
0: agree. I will.
1: <laughs> I would, <laughs> but that's one thing I, I would like to do is actually stack up the Italia, the GNC Italia next to an ATI Stratton next to the sky LED and just have one system specifically for those distributed light types. And I don't, I don't want to pick them apart, but just like see, all right, see which ones are doing what.
0: I would also like to see more people go because I, I like, is really leading the charge in the point source light. Um, I would like to see them continue to do that, but I'd also like to see um, that continue to be an option from other vendors as well, because I, honestly, like, I would hate to wake up in five years and the only option is, like, panel lights,
1: right? Right, right, which is awesome right now, is we have the super point source Kessels, we have the super flat uh, Stratton, and then somewhere in the middle, you know, you have the AIs that are a little bit point sourcey, a little bit clustered, and then the radions that are, you know, really, really kind of straddle the middle. But man, with the radions, if you like that super flat look, you're going to add a diffuser after the fact. You know, that's that's the beauty right there. It's like uh, you have more options when it comes to the current generation of radions.
0: Yeah. For sure. Uh, the, and that's that's the other thing is, you know, reading some of the um, people getting pretty riled up on the internet about the sky and stuff um, – I'm like, look, more offerings is good, more competition is good, right? Mm -hmm. I want to see Neptune bring competition to lighting vendors. I would like to see other vendors bring competition to Neptune about controllers. This is all good for us as consumers, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other piece of it is like, let's keep that variety going, right?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Just diversity of choice, a diversity of option, like, yo, if you're reading this, and you're a fanboy of any one of these companies, just cool, (laughs) slow your roll (laughs) and allow the market to be diversified and enable people to have different choices for different applications i mean at this point i mean when people ask me for any when people used to ask me 10 to 12 years ago uh, an option for uh, for an aquarium light might not have been led uh, it would have been very simple like here's your light for nanos here's your light for medium sized tank and if you have a big tank you got to get metal halides and now it's like man what do you like what's yeah. available in your market what kind of corals do you want to grow how much controllability and features do you want and yeah now it's just I, I, I like that the sky was not another me Too. not a not a me Too light they, they you know they, they they were a lot of inspiration from the Coral care probably using the same patent uh, for that uh, distributed light field or the uniform light field um, but they're bringing it to market in a way that's uh, more accessible to a lot more
0: people yeah, they made it more consumer friendly and more consumer usable right um, by mm-hmm. dropping the weight using a fan um, yeah and yeah, like you said if if you're in an argument about which light is the best and everybody's got their dog in the fight, you're a troll. It's a waste of time. (laughs) Everything grows troll if
1: you're trying to argue with that right now. Yeah, here's one. Not the last thing I want to say about this combo. But um, people who say that LEDs don't do XYZ are they are wrong. Because it's not the LEDs. it's you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. It's you and how what LEDs you're using and how you're using them and what you're trying to do. The photons coming off an LED you know, besides spectrum and and intensity, like they're the same photons coming off a a fluorescent light, the same photons coming from a plasma light, the same photons coming, you know, there there are no exotic forms of 420 nanometer spectrum. if, If there's any limitations or shortcomings, it's our own lack of imagination on how to place the lights, cluster the lights, spectrum, photoperiod, et cetera. Um, so yeah, this whole thing of you know people taking hard hardline stances of halide versus fluorescents versus that, LED. Actually.
0: People are they brought out the the halides are still the end all be all crowd, and I was sitting there reading that, going like, look, I loved metal halides, I loved them, right? I had you can't get a, a whiskey bulb anymore.
1: Yeah. you can't get a radium bulb anymore.
0: Well, They're I did. I did read. Uh, one guy saying uh, that they reached out and that they will can plan, do plan to continue to make them, but at the end Which of the ones? day radiums, but I I
1: I don't. I th- I thought your radium production was done.
0: That's, you know you never, who knows what the guy on the internet, did he call them, did he not? Uh, it sounded like they reached out, but at the end of the day, even if they were available I, to me, it's like the argue, if you start to argue what is the best, it's like Okay, but, you know, how much heat are you dumping into your house? How much power?
1: Yeah. How much power are you using? I mean,
0: don't get me wrong. We're getting into 200-watt LED fixtures now, which 250-watt metal halide on an electric ballast. I get it. You know, we're getting up into that territory again, but I don't know. I, I just... I feel like that ship has sailed, that argument. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. a great way to put it, man. Dude, that
1: is gone. That is
0: over. If you want to go and start a coral farm with all your metal halide bulbs, go ahead. <laughs> you know,
1: like, go ahead, and you're going to have to switch to LEDs in like three to five years when those bulbs are no longer available. Yeah. You know, same thing with the T5. It is inevitable that the that, that T5 will be replaced by linear LEDs, you know, offerings. Well,
0: and let's factor in that energy right 250 watts of energy is converted into light but not all of that energy is converted into light some of it is converted into heat and when i converted you know 750 watts of metal halide to eight times 80 which was that 600 something watts of t5 yes okay little bit less wattage the heat was less because there is less energy lost to heat right and then when you get to leds that equation gets even better so, mm-hmm. ele- your power bill might be the same, but at the end of the day, I mean, there's an efficiency there. I, sorry, I just I don't get it.
1: Hmm. Not to mention, you know, your your lamps burn out and they're really bright and and even for the first first four months, depending on how long you run them or how often you turn on and off your metal halides, and then you got to drop off, and then you got to manage that you know that light variability. And you burn your
0: elbow trying to move a rock and. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then you got this giant reflector i mean don't get me wrong i, mean, I loved the days of hps um 430 watt radiums you know and, and having the luxury of switching them out every six months just to keep everything super stable but now i don't now i i'm just i will never replace lamps sorry never, now I'm, that's done that ship has sailed as you said
0: the only the only um concern i have is i'd like to see things remain affordable as well for larger systems and what i mean by that is a 180 gallon tank these days is not a huge tank anymore right we've yeah, talked about that it's not a
1: jumbo like it used to be that's right,
0: right. i mean most people are getting 100 ish gallon tanks these days you know nothing i don't i don't think I'm not going to sit here and say that the sky or the Radeon are overpriced. I don't, I think what you're paying for, you know, like, I I think at the end of the day it's fair. And if you're going to call one out, you kind of have to call them all out. But I do like the idea of just still having something in that $400 range available for folks. Um, I do think you can light a w let's say a six foot tank with three AI twenty six, right, or thirty twos, yeah. I guess, right? No, I the think story you can have a nice that, reef tank they, with they, that. They but. were using
1: uh three fifty uh, twos, not even sixty fours. They were using three fifty twos to very dimly light like a three by eight foot tank. They had mm-hmm. lights way up, really blue, you know, a little bit of punch. And it's like, all right, it's not gonna grow. acros but it's gonna be fine. And, you know, for those people looking for affordable lights, just look at the previous gen.
0: Yeah, that's true too.
1: <laughs> you know, the early adopters will, will let off some uh, lightly used one or two year old, uh, you know, formerly top of the line lights for half price. And that, that's where the value is at. But those lights were all, I mean, now nowadays on pretty much all those lights have practically a 10 year lifespan, unless you're driving them you know, full bore, like Dr. Photon. Uh, like photon man um but yeah you're you're gonna get a lot of life out of them for sure
0: because i mean that's i I can see the ballast metal halo argument there right three ballasts some bowls some reflectors you can light a six foot tank for an affordable price but then when you start talking about three thousand dollars to light up a six by two tank you're going okay that's costing as much as the tank right so i that's where i would like to see you know I, I, ho- I hope in the future there continues to be that availability or options to do that. Even if the, you know, I mean, this is maybe dumb and some vendors going to roll their eyes at me, but it's like, keep making your older gen ones and drop the price on them or something, right? Like, so you don't even have I to go to a used a, market.
1: The, the the gen four radions were available for so long that a lot of people really fell in love with them. Yeah. They got used to using them a whole bunch of different ways. I think that would be celebrated yeah to be honest like you don't even have to update the leds man get some get some bargain leds get some of the old gen ic chips we know we got chip shortages happening ab- across all this stuff just get the older versions <laughs> start you know make bring those back but you know i don't i don't think that the, the moles for those lenses are still uh, accessible yeah. or whatever <clears throat> so it's it's there's a lot of logistics um involved with it but but yeah i think it was a uh, overall it was a very good session and uh, you know Definitely, you know you and I—we we we gotta meet up. I mean, you're gonna come be you're gonna be out here six weeks or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, hell yeah, man, that's gonna be fun. But we need to do like a live session, like literally at a reef show. That'd be so much fun, and talk about set up like a booth. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, with 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 glass panels, so people aren't bugging us, (laughs) (laughs) and a and a beer Um, fridge. But yeah, I would definitely want to thank everyone who for coming up and, and saying how much reef therapy is meant to them. Like, dude, this is a this is the tenth session so far and it's incredible to see their response. And um uh yeah we're we're gonna stay on track and just keep chugging them out like once a week and uh man i can't wait for for you to come out here and just putting a pin in this entire session and i want to thank everybody for tuning in make sure to subscribe on youtube we are going to be moving this to the official reef therapy youtube channel in the future maybe gradually um but definitely check us out on your favorite podcatcher spotify itunes google google apps and stuff google Google podcast I don't know what it's called. But I know there's a bunch out there. So
0: no, man, I wish I could have been there. Uh, I wish. Yeah, sorry. This is what we do. We get carried away with one topic. I wanted to bug you about the seek uh, em doser, but we can maybe cover that in the next one. Um, yeah, sounds like s- a plan. Yeah.
1: Alright, well, thanks, everybody. And we'll catch you guys for another session of reef therapy next week.